All right. This is Reg Clay and uh, Norm G. We're going to call this the Yay. We're at the Theater of Life, and we're going to talk about uh, life in the theater and the theater of life. So uh, we're not just going to talk exactly about theater because we're both, you know, um, actors uh, in the Bay. But also, um, just life in general. We're just going to, you know, shoot it off, and uh, this is uh, episode 1-1 of the Yay, and we'll see how long it goes. We'll uh, tape it, and then, uh, well, not tape, there is, you know, tape is a <laughs> oxymoron these days, you know, no one even, we mentioned these things like tape or whatever, but, you know, there's no, there's no tape anymore, um, or at least there's, we're not using tape. But in any right. case, I'm going to throw it up on SoundCloud and then put it on Facebook, and we'll see what reaction we get, and, you know, we'll just go from there. How's it going, man? It is good. Wonderful Saturday. With the weather, sun finally out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I got caught in the rain on, uh, fri- was it Friday or Thursday? It was a time where it just rained really, really hard. Yeah. With the wind. Right. It was, oh, it was nasty. (laughs) But, uh, and see, I take my e-bike, I ride it to the BART, Mm -hmm. and then I, um, you know, head on to uh, work or whatever. So, and it's always tough when you're biking because, you know, the brakes. Right. Yeah. But luckily, you know, I I made it, you know, okay. So, uh, so I walked out Thursday evening. Um, I had a, I taught a class and I. Walked out of the building. I saw that it was raining. I could see the rain coming down. Mm-hmm. Like, That's not a problem. I open the door. I've got bags in both hands, and I have a hat on. And I feel my hat go to blow away. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. no. Yeah. So I, like, stepped up against the building mm-hmm. and thought again about what I was going to do and how I was going to get where I needed to go. Yeah. It's like, no, you're just going to get really wet. Just accept it. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, so, um. Okay, so we, I guess, you know, they're friends of ours who know who we are. But basically, uh, Normanji, you, um, what do you teach? Um, right now I'm teaching at the East Bay Center for the Performing Arts. That's in Richmond. Okay. Um, teenagers. Um, they have younger students, and there are some of our folks who hang on for a little while afterwards. But mostly it's teens, mostly middle school, high school mm-hmm. teens. And we cover all the arts, well, performing arts at that's the name of the building, name mm-hmm. of the organization. Um, but the students are encouraged to f- find a focus somewhere in there. So either they're doing dance and specifically like hip-hop or mm-hmm. ballet or whatever. Oh, that's cool. Um, but if they're in the program, they are required to get a breadth of the arts so that they get a little taste of this and a little yeah. taste of that. Are you like a contract employee? I mean, you're not yeah. like a – okay, got it. Yeah, because I just have one class a week. I, nice. It's – Depending on, we do a fall session and a spring session mm-hmm. and a summer session, mm-hmm. and sometimes I have more classes and I'm involved in more projects. But for the last year or so, I've just had my one little class. Mm-hmm. And also, you did you start up Oakland Public Theater? I uh, started Oakland Public Theater, yeah, okay. in 1998. Right on. And uh, because I'd moved to Oakland, and the Oakland Ensemble Theater, which had had its moment. <laughs> was um was fading was mm-hmm. quickly fading and um i felt like i would like something closer to home and oakland represents so many things to people right um and i thought that there was a void that could be filled so was lorraine hansbury um operating at the time I they mean, were operating but they're very much san francisco and very much stanley and quentin mm-hmm. you know those founders yeah very much their vision and it was very much, it was funny, when I started the company, I didn't really have a, this is what we're about. Mm-hmm. 
but as as things um, developed, I realized I could claim I didn't want to claim black theater because I felt like that was such a narrow genre. But after a while, I realized with the work that I did, any play that I'm in is black as far as I'm concerned because mm -hmm. I'm in it. Yeah. The audience is going to see a black man on stage. Right. And they're going to make sense of that in some way. Mm -hmm. So somehow that story has now become a black story. Right. And I do everything. I do Shakespeare. I'm, I just bumped into a lady yesterday that I'm, I did Japanese theater with like 25 years ago. Oh, wow. Um, so I've done all kinds of different things. But like I say, if I'm involved, I feel like that kind of colors mm -hmm. what's going on. So mm -hmm. that became the tag for Oakland Public Theater was mm -hmm. um, a different kind of black theater. Yeah. Yeah. Which still allowed me to do anything I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But um, but it said that there's – because, again, from my perspective, when I first started the company, I was very careful to hire outside directors. So I didn't necessarily have a black director. Mm -hmm. It might not necessarily be a black show. We did a um, – I think it's Strindberg. Um, there's a one-act oh, okay. um, called Mother Love. Yeah. And um, we did it with – um, two Filipinas mm -hmm. and it's three characters so we did it with two Filipinas and a mixed race other yeah. woman uh -huh. um, you know there were shows that we did that didn't necessarily have to have a black perspective but I felt like that audience a black audience could still appreciate it so right. as far as I was concerned there was nothing that fell outside of the bounds of yeah, black and, theater and I, you know I appreciate it because I think you and I met uh, we were I was involved in a company called Easton's Repertory Company, which is no longer around. Uh, it was headed up by Chuck Polly, and he was doing an April Fugard piece that we both were auditioning for, um, uh, Statements. Yeah, Statements after yeah, arrest yeah. under the Immorality Act. E exactly. And you were equity, I wasn't, so mm -hmm. I guess you know uh, they couldn't afford an equity actor. I guess they would have. If you're hearing some crazy sounds, that's my uh, washer-dryer. Not my washer-dryer, my dishwasher. Ah. So hopefully that will cut off um, soon. Hopefully you won't. <laughs> no, we're not farting or anything like that. So in any case, yeah, so that's how we met. Right. Um, and then, you know, you got me hooked up in a bunch of other projects, and I was like, hey, this, you know, there's black theater in Oakland because that's what I wanted to do. Right. So it's a bit dormant now, Oakland Public Theater, but, you know, we still are involved in a one way or another with, you know, um, theater in general. But it's good to have a, a black perspective, you know, mm -hmm. because I find well, that – also just in general in terms of theater, mm -hmm. I think – People use the word community, mm -hmm. and it, it becomes a catch-all, so it sort of loses meaning. Yeah. But really, what I mean by it is that sense that you as an individual are connected to and committed to a group of people, a community. Right. And that you see yourself in that way, and that to me is important. It's important to me because I moved to the Bay Area and felt like I was, I was a transplant I didn't feel like I was of the scene. So I was just looking for my place without seeing that it fit within a bigger picture, bigger context of what you could call Bay Area theater. Right. There is that. That does exist. It has an aesthetic. It has all kinds of things. Yeah. It doesn't have much self-awareness, much yeah. self-consciousness. I find that there are basically three flavors of, I guess, actors. You know, you have one who they've just come out of a school or whatever. Or let, let's say they're mm -hmm. coming out of their regular lives and they just want to jump in the theater. That's one. Right. And then you have two who join a theater group, a community, because they want the community. Right. And then there are those who are professionals who are like, listen, let me just work up my resume so that I can go to Hollywood or mm -hmm. go to you know Broadway uh, or something York, like yeah. that. Is that how you 
I mean, that's how I cut it up. But, but what, well, I see those. I see all those, but I, I feel like they are—they're not separate. Yeah. And and the flow—it's like I am a union actor. Mm-hmm. I'm an equity actor. Um, we run into the issue all the time of companies deciding whether or not they want to use equity, and these debates about the level of talent and level of experience. Those are kind of ridiculous. There are people who have been acting for decades who are not in the union. Mm-hmm. You cannot say that they are inexperienced. Right. Uh, there are people who jump in the union when they've barely gotten, you mm-hmm. know, the feet wet in theater. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't look at that as much as, well, like another thing that's happening right now. I'm doing a lot of auditioning. Mm-hmm. It's that time of year. I'm I'm looking for some shows. Yeah. So I'm trying to get my name out there. Well, I was at Theater Works last week. Went to the auditions. Mm-hmm. I'm standing around in this little back area room, and I see a picture of James Iglehart. James Iglehart. We both work with him. Yeah. And you know, and it's the it's the Tony picture. It's a picture of him getting his Tony Award. Yeah. And you know, everybody wants to claim him now. Everybody That's locally right. wants to claim him. Yeah. Yeah. And and talk about how proud they are of him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well. That's a funny definition of pride because when he was here, how did you treat him? Yeah, that's right. If you treated him like you treat everybody else, mm-hmm. then your focus was on other things. Right. And and I know <clears throat> theater companies will make that argument, and I, I've heard the argument, that you know they're not here to be anybody's friend. They're not here to – they can't make friends mm-hmm. with um, all the people that they work yeah. with in a season. Yeah. Well – Right, but that season included those people. In fact, that season, from one perspective, is those people. Yeah. So yeah. when you go on to your next season, you didn't. Uh, that would be like ignoring who you were last year because you passed another birthday. Oh no, last year's. You know, mm-hmm. it's part of who you are. Right. And some of it becomes invalid as time moves on, but some things that are have dropped out of life come back later. Yeah. You don't know. Um, I would love to see more. Companies find a interconnectedness mm-hmm. that is more than just who is on our stage right now, yeah, or even who is on our stage last year, yeah, um, and an appreciation for the talent pool, mm-hmm. um, so that when that man like James comes through, because I will admit that everybody I know who talked about him talked about how wonderful he was. Mm-hmm. But they still talked about him with – there was a sense of he's a local actor, as if that is some diminutive, that's some lesser category. Yeah. And that's – as somebody who's committed to – especially now, I got married last year. I am very committed mm-hmm. to being in the Bay Area. Yeah. Um, I realize that time goes by. We've known each other – it's definitely been over 10 years. Yeah, you and I. Yeah, exactly. And – there may be a year or two where we just sort of don't really connect. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a show where somebody had gone nine years. Two people were in the show together yeah. who hadn't well, worked together Well, that happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's all fine. But yeah. I also started to realize around the time that I started working more with you mm-hmm. that these people are part of my life. Not just my theater life. Mm-hmm. They're part of my world. Yeah. Part of my life. One of the bad things about... And I actually have a, fu- a little funny story about uh, James Iglehart. And I want to touch back in on... Mm-hmm. Actors, because I notice a lot of, especially minority actors, especially black actors, the minute they hit it big or they, let's say, they get their equity card or they're in a production which, you know, gets some prestige for them, like press or whatever, Mm -hmm. they're like, okay, see you later, and they're gone. Right. Yeah, they go to New York or whatever. And I hear 
directors complain about that all the time. It's like, oh, you know. Yeah, it, it happens across the board. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. So in any case, um, so James Iglehart. Okay, so I, as well as an actor, I also do a lot of tech. Like I'm, uh, I do stage managing. Although I'm, I'm trying to swear off of stage <laughs> managing now. I just you should never put that out publicly. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm a retired stage manager because uh, I just don't have the patience anymore. It's, it's, it, there's a lot of I could tell all sorts of stories about stage managing. I've worked with some wonderful, wonderful groups, and it's not the group or a company that swayed me off of it. It's just. I think it's a young person's game, um, especially, you know, th- there's not a lot of money has been made or whatever. But in any case, we did a production. It was Ray of Light Theater, um, who was started by Shane Ray. Um, and they operate out of the Victorian Theater, which is on 16th and Mission. And we did a production called Bat Boy, uh, which is based on the, um, the tabloid, Half Bat, Half Boy. Uh, it was... Yeah, the weekly news. Yeah, the weekly news. It was really crazy. And someone someone made a musical of it. And it's actually a fantastic musical. And James Iglehart directed it. So one day, I get an email from a friend of mine saying, hey, there's a stage managing job. So I go there, and there's a black guy and there's a white guy. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking for James Iglehart. So I stick my hand in front of um, uh, the lead actor, Eli Newsom, and say, Mr. Iglehart, I'm Reg Clay. (laughs) And he points like, no, 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 that's James Iglehart. Oh, "Oh my God. (laughs) Which is the heart. Of course, I would think that the director named Iglehart is a white guy. Shame Mm -hmm. on me. So in any case, but that's my little story about James Iglehart. He's fantastic. An amazing singer. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember um, there was a a developing musical called 1702. It was basically about Mm. um, settlers in 1702. And it was, I think... They were showcasing it at the Throckmorton Theater, mm-hmm. and he sang in it, and I sang in it uh, just a little bit, and it was just before he left. So that's it. That's that's my thing on James Idlehart. But you're absolutely right. Community. I mean, sure, everybody loves you when you made it big, but you know mm-hmm. what happened when you were you know trying to develop a community mm-hmm. like you know Ray of Light Theater or Bindlestiff or the Oakland Public Theater or whatever mm-hmm. and you're like okay great that's wonderful like you were talking about the people who you act with mm-hmm. are your family I mean sometimes right. they can be part of your family but a lot of times a production ends everybody hugs or whatever and then they just mm-hmm. they're gone they're doing their own thing and not that some you know some say oh it should be a wonderful thing it should be where you know a community comes together and everyone's friends <coughs> forever forever mm-hmm. sometimes it's just a business right you know, I'm here. I'm a hired gun. I'm doing my lines and but blocking. It's, and it's a business, but it's an art. Yeah, and yeah, and that means there's a. It's really hard to do an art without putting something of yourself into it. Yeah. So when it gets to that level, there's a need for. Um, well, there's a need for some vulnerability, and therefore there's a need for each of us to sort of mm-hmm. make some space, if not actually just straight up take care of each other, mm-hmm. at least make some space for each other. Yeah. And when you do that, when you get that close to people, mm-hmm. that's different than a nine to five. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> and so, I don't know, there's got to be some way that as you move forward, or I, one of the things I've tried to learn is to not worry about coming up with prescriptions for how to fix the theater world or th- fix, yeah. fix, any, fix the world in any way. Yeah. I have my opinions and my attitudes, but partly I'm just looking for where are the missed opportunities where are the things? Where are the voids mm-hmm. that can be filled? That can easily be filled. Where are the things that we can take advantage of? Yeah, and, and that it, seems to me that one of them is mm-hmm. finding a way to keep that connection alive with people. Right. Um, as you move on, and for a theater scene that does that. Yeah. 
some people value the connection, some don't. Right. You know, and I'm sure you've been in productions both as a director and also as an actor where some people value the connection, the real communion that you have with an actor mm -hmm. or with a group, and some don't. You know, mm -hmm. they just don't care either because of inexperience or there's something, I don't know, psychological going on within them right. where it's a third rail and for whatever reason they don't want right. to, you know, connect. Mm -hmm. And you can tell on stage. I mean, as, a, as an audience member, you can see where the connection is strong and where it isn't. Mm -hmm. Well, I've, I've also known really good professional actors, actors who who work, even now work a lot in the Bay. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a couple of guys I'm thinking of. They are notorious. They are everybody knows. They have a reputation for when the show is done. They're out the back door. They don't say goodbye. They're gone. Yeah. Um, when the cast party happens, they don't go. If people say, "Let's get together and have a drink before you know, drink after the show," yeah, or on one of those weekends, yeah. uh, let's all have dinner. Mm -hmm. um, that person usually opts out or doesn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. Out on stage, they can be wonderfully loving and giving. Yeah. I think they even fit in what I'm talking about because I, I don't have time. Let's say you get lucky and you do five shows in a year mm -hmm. with an average of, you know, let's keep it simple, four people per show. So yeah. that's 20 people. You're not going to bring 20 new people mm -hmm. into your life every year. Yeah. And but if you can find a way to keep a connection mm -hmm. um, to, you know, at least like let them know when the next show is happening or they let you know. Because the other thing to me is... If this is about doing our art, let's mm -hmm. bring it back to the art. Yeah. If you and I do a show together mm -hmm. and we have a good time, yeah. Then and the audience appreciated it, mm -hmm. then that might be a winning combination that somebody should replicate, and that's what I'm talking about when I talk about wanting to find that identity within the Bay uh, Area. Yeah, yeah. I want to see that when you put up a show, you know, like uh, there was an August Wilson that just went up, and now the African American Shakespeare is doing Jitney. Mm-hmm. Um, the folks that get in that show and do well with it, the producers, I would hope, are saying, well, gosh, we got to look next year or two years down the road putting up another August Wilson because that's doing well. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, we need to talk to those actors who were so brilliant in our show because mm -hmm. that is, in fact, what happens with August Wilson. Uh, Mamet is famous for it in his early years. Uh, Joe Mantegna mm -hmm. was oh, one. Yeah was an actor who was just in those early shows. So mm -hmm. after a while, it's like, yeah, I know your work. And and to start to create that identity so that when we get that person, like uh, the big one right now is Coleman Domingo, mm -hmm. is just blowing up like crazy. Yeah, that, that, that's a local actor? He was. No, he's he's not local anymore. <laughs> um, TV, um, I don't think he personally was nominated for Selma, but he was in Selma. Oh, um, okay. He was in Lincoln. Yeah. Um, he was in, was it Scottsboro Boys? Okay. Um, on, um, yeah. And I, I think they did get a Tony. Um, they got a Tony. So mm -hmm. he's been, his career has been going fantastically. And he was in the Bay for a good little while. Mm. And um, and got some appreciation. But what was funny, and we would talk about it because he moved to New York. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly Berkeley Rep was picking him up and Cal Shape was picking him up on a regular basis. Yeah. And so at least once a year, he was back doing one of the shows. Mm -hmm. And I said, Coleman, yay, New York actor. And yeah. he said, Norman, when I'm in New York, I'm a bartender. Oh, really? Interesting. And, and the challenge here was, you know, the joke when he first left was, yeah. you know, you run around trying to get these people's attention. 
and they might treat you with a little bit of yeah we know you and yeah we like your work and yeah we might even respect you as a local actor hmm. but then you move yeah i don't know how many actors i'm sure you know actors local actors uh-huh. who have la um oh, sure. area codes oh sure yeah yeah because mm-hmm. and they purposely do that and they may not really live down there mm-hmm. but they keep that because it they think it'll impress people, and it does. Yeah, which is so stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's a fact of how the career works, mm-hmm. and I would say it's a fact of this low self-esteem that Bay Area theater has. It does not want to give credit to the folks that are here and give them the respect mm-hmm. and recognition that they deserve. So oh. these people go yeah. away, yeah, and they do well, and mm-hmm. then suddenly you see all these big write-ups in their pictures and everybody's yeah. little, you know, areas, their offices and their dressing rooms, yeah. and in their programs, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, you know, it would have been nice if you gave him that love because I honestly don't know that Coleman is a better actor now than he was here. He was pretty fantastic yeah. when he was here, yeah. Um, but y'all sure give him a whole lot more respect now than y'all did then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, he should have had the prestige when he was actually here. Do you think a lot of it has to do with money? I mean, there are a lot of companies that are really, really struggling with um, just getting grants and, and what have you. I mean, if you have a great actor, especially an equity actor, you got to pay them. And, um, and I, you know, I wondered, even it ties into community. I mean... I, I don't think it's money. Okay. I don't think it's money because... They will bring somebody in mm-hmm. from L.A., New York, Chicago, wherever. Yeah. They'll bring them in. They will put them up in housing. They will pay them per diem. Mm. So they pay a chunk of money to get that person. Yeah. And what cracks me up is the L.A. actors that they do it with. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't say which company, but there was a company that did the Scottish play a few years ago. Okay. Big company here. And they brought in an L.A. actor. Yeah. And they, you know, and they put his name all over everything. I don't even know the guy's name. I didn't know it at the time, but he was on some successful TV show. He wasn't the yeah. star of the show, yeah. but he was. But I guess they do it to bring in the audience, or they think they'll well, bring in the audience. I, I wonder how much that brings in an audience. Yeah, really. I mean, because I'm not, one, yeah. you, if you even know the show, yeah. then here's this guy who plays a role, a recurring role on the show, but right. not, like I said, not the prominent role. Yeah. Um, and now he's stepping out of that style of to, to do something else. Yeah. Now, when they happen to be, like in that instance, it's a Shakespeare play. When they actually happen to be a classically trained actor or they're working with somebody who's mm-hmm. using whatever their talents are, bringing it to that medium, Yeah. that's fantastic. But more often it's just that they go, wow, you've got the prestige in the business. Mm-hmm. And we just want to slot you into something. And wow, wouldn't it be cool if we gave you a chance to do this? And I swear, more often than not, it is not appreciated. More yeah. often than not, it is. Audiences kind of go, hmm, don't know why you did this. Yeah, and of course, every every medium, I mean, not just theater, but also television and, and you know, what have you, mm-hmm. are competing with the Internet. You know, everyone wants to watch YouTube videos. Right. So getting someone to get out of their houses and apartments mm-hmm. and go to a theater, you know, par- right. find parking and all that stuff. Bringing in a named actor, and, and I don't even know who the actor is. But that's that scale of named mm-hmm. very quickly. I'd say the, there's the top of the scale. Yeah. They're the Leonardo DiCaprio's, sure. the Denzel oh, sure. Washington's. Oh yeah. oh, yeah, we all know that. But the guy who played Denzel's brother in that movie. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> Nobody knows his name. Yeah. People yeah. probably can't name two other movies that he's been in. Right. And you're going to bring him in rather than getting the local guy <laughs> right. to do it. Right. And, and you're absolutely right. And when it comes to, you know, community, you have someone who's been working, I don't know, 10, 20 years in the local community. And you're mm. like, hey, I'm a black actor and, you know, I want to do this. And I think I'm talented enough. I mean, if I'm not talented, then no one's going to call me. Right. But all of a sudden you want to get somebody from L.A. to do yeah. this thing. And I'm right here. Right. Yeah. Well, um, it's going on in film right now. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm not seeing... It's not getting a lot of attention, mm-hmm. but I've seen it more than a couple of times now. American actors complaining about all the Africans who are oh. getting the film roles as oh, the slaves. If you look at all the yeah, slave movies that yeah. have been made recently, like even yeah. Selma, yeah, even Selma, the guy who played King, he's not American, <laughs> right? Right, and, right. And wonderfully talented actor, yeah, of course. But I, I actually watched that movie, yeah. Kind of frustrated because uh-huh. I grew up in the era. Yeah. So I know LBJ. Like you could play me ten seconds of LBJ's voice. Yep. yep. And I would have a visceral reaction to it because I grew up on it. It was on the nightly news. Yeah. Um, so they got a British actor to play it, oh. and he did it with a really <laughs> light. Um, That's just like uh, Anthony Texas Hopkins role. who played Nixon. Remember Anthony Hopkins played uh, Nixon? I never saw it, but yeah, yeah I do remember. Uh, good and then the other him. actor. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, what's his name? One, Tim, who did he play? He played. Um, he played George Wallace. Oh, in Selma. Okay, and uh, it's another brilliant, brilliant actor. Yeah, um, who also didn't worry so much about the accent. Mm-hmm. Um, but even more than that, George Wallace was vile. Yeah, and he played him as cunning. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but even as a little kid, seeing that man talk. I had no doubt who he was and what he was about. Yeah. There was if there was duplicity, yeah. it was not duplicity aimed at people like me. Yeah. People like me got the clear message of what you expected and what you were going to yeah. do. And to to water that down in the film. Yeah. I found myself going, okay, these guys are wonderful actors. Couldn't you have gotten Americans? Couldn't you have gotten somebody who actually could give you a solid Texas and a solid Georgia accent? Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost a black version of uh, there are so many British, especially Aussie actors, mm-hmm. who play, you know, these roles or whatever. Like, I'm sure, you know, um, like Amelia Clark, who played Sarah Connor and, and all that stuff. Oh. And, and mm-hmm. I, think, I don't think she's uh, English. I think she's – but in any case. But I'm glad we got into the subject of black – you know, I haven't seen Selma, and I have oh. a visceral reaction. I mean, I'm sure as a black man, he's like pushing a button. Of course you got to see the film. But a lot of these films are very, I mean, I see it in, like, Mississippi Burning. I see it in The Help. I see it in um, a, a lot of these black turn-of-the-century, either it's slavery or it's civil rights. Right. Where the black actor or the black you know, uh, the people that you see on screen are one-dimensional, yeah. almost sheep that needs to be saved. Yeah. And, you know, it's the white actors who are doing all the real thinking. It's like, you know, uh, black people back then were not capable of cerebral thinking or even the mm-hmm. depiction of Martin Luther King as just a great emotional uh, preacher. Well, they did a wonderful job with King in yeah. Selma of, of looking at who he was and the challenge that he had, as opposed to focusing on the man who accomplished so much. Yeah. They, they really gave you that side of it. Mm-hmm. But, I, but it's still the same thing you're talking about. It's like, wow, can't y'all, can't y'all just, uh, like, um, what's the, the big film this year? Um, Moonlight? 
Oh, that's right, Moonlight. Yeah. Holy Moses! Oh my! Now that's that's that's. Did you see it? It's so yes, I saw it, and the the way it breaks genre. Yeah, the way right. it is not. It's mm-hmm. not worried about spoon feeding you how this works and who these people are right. and what their lives are. Right. And at the same time, it took its time with these beautiful images. Black skin has rarely looked so good on the screen as it looked then. They were just gorgeous. Be it a mm-hmm. night scene at the beach or just the guy driving in his car, there were just these moments that were just gorgeous. Yeah. No, that was fantastic, and it's really unorthodox. I mean, I think you you know you're dealing with a black guy dealing with a sexuality, right? And uh, and you know all the stuff that he had to go through. But I appreciated cerebral thinking. I mean, I, I think back to Spike Lee. Mm-hmm. I miss Spike Lee's movies so much, especially mm-hmm. the early days, like um, Mo Better Blues and um, She's Got to Do the Right Thing. She's Got to Have It. Where you have act black characters. Who are so multidimensional? Mm-hmm. They're, they're thinking. They're on my. They're, you know, they they are logical. They, you know, you really get into you know their lives, and yeah. it's not wrapped around. Right. Oh, I need somebody to save me, or oh, I'm going to pray to God or whatever. I mean, listen, I'm a Christian. You know, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But we are cerebral thinkings. We right. we do think. Right. And I think that you have a lot of uh, script writers who, you know, either they don't, they don't, they don't, either they don't. Well, they have to care, but. They don't think seriously about what it what it was mm-hmm. to live during that time and all of the emotional and psychological things. Right. And the strategic things you had to do. Like, you know, King, when he did the Montgomery bus boycott, it wasn't just an emotional thing. Like, we're going to have a protest. But economically, we're going to affect the city of Montgomery. We're going right. to stop riding on these buses. Right. And their economy is going to go down. Right. Because they need it. Right. And that's how we'll break them. Yeah. You know, like... Focusing on Brown v. Board of Education, okay, now we have the legal standing to do these protests because there's now we have, now have the Supreme Court. Right. I mean, that just energized everything. Right, yeah, there's, there's thinking going on, not just some reaction. Right, exactly, and I get the feeling these script writers, when they do these films, you know, is basically just mail it in. You know, we'll just slap it all in and, you know. Well, it's like, it's... It's as if you have to create a new genre, mm-hmm. and that's a tricky thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to go, wow, I think I understand that. Maybe I can use that form to tell my story. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that works. Mm-hmm. And you know, and that's often what we see. It's the same sort of cookie cutter, boy meets girl, or you know, overcomes diverse, adversity, or... Sure. Overcomes diversity. I hope never. <laughs> uh, adversity. Overcomes yeah. adversity. Yeah. Or, you know, or coming of age, whatever it is. Right. Um, but if you stop worrying about that genre, right. unless it's really going to serve the story you want to tell and just find a way to tell your story. Well, right. again, like I said, it's not about coming up with a prescription for how to fix these things, mm-hmm. but to say, wow, that person who finds a way to. To go off script, that mm-hmm. person finds a way to ford their own path yeah. can turn out something that is... And even if Moonlight had not won the award, mm-hmm. it was such a beautiful movie, mm-hmm. I really wouldn't have cared. Yeah. You know, there have been too many years where something wins Best Picture, mm-hmm. but it's been sort of a polite or a political sure. uh, vote. Yeah. And people don't want to go see it. You know, go well, see it. Well, I mean, yeah, Slumdog Millionaire won. And, uh, I mean, I saw it, but... Not that I'm against Bollywood or whatever, but, you know, I didn't really see anything 
that really spoke to me. Now, you know, the girlfriend at the time loved it, so uh-huh. maybe it was just me. But getting back to, uh, so Moonlight won Best Picture, but also um, Viola Jackson won. Oh, right. Uh, we talked about this, uh, for Fences. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate it. I mean, I, I wish anyone would see Fences. Now, you've seen it on stage, so. Right. You, you know, so. And so I have my, my, yeah, I have my biases based on that. Yeah. But still, August Wilson, you know, it, it was really, uh, it was Denzel Washington's pet project. Sure. And so he really wanted to see it on stage. And for anyone who wonders, well, and why did. film, yeah. Yeah. Why, you know, if anyone wonders, why did Viola Jackson win Best Picture and not, let's say, Octavia Davis for, I think it was. Um, Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures. Mm-hmm. Now, see, Hidden Figures, what Viola Jackson in that one scene, there's one scene where she's in the kitchen mm-hmm. cooking and all of a sudden Denzel Washington's character comes in and says, listen, I've got another woman on the side. I've impregnated her and she's going to have a baby, and but she's on her deathbed. And, and she has in that moment to go from, hey, honey, I'm c- cooking you, you know, breakfast or whatever, mm-hmm. to just this angst, this pain. Mm-hmm. And she walks out of the house and she has this explosive emotion. For an actor to go from there to there and mm-hmm. just such a short period of time, and really, there's no dialogue that she has. Right. The dialogue coming off from Denzel Washington's character. It was fantastic. It was a great moment. Mm-hmm. And I thought that one moment alone, you know, won it for her. Whereas, no you doubt. know, no doubt. Yeah. Where, whereas Octavia Davis, I mean, you know, hitting figures, you know, there's a character. Um, who's the woman who, um, I should know this woman's name. Um, she's in, she's in, um, oh, shoot. It's it's a um, this is a horrible time to have a brain fart. <laughs> uh, it's it's That's a, it's a, it's a fox it's a fox um, television series right now. Scandal? No, not scandal. It was oh. another another black actress, and basically she's like you empire? know a deep empire. It's empire. empire. Who's who's the actress? Which, no, and it's horrible. That I know the names <laughs> of these things, but I don't watch TV. Yeah. yeah. So in any case, she played the lead character in Hidden Figures, and basically it's a character who. Is working with NASA. These are these first black women who worked in NASA. The computers. Yeah, the computers, which is a fantastic story. <laughs> it's a great story, and I yeah. hadn't known about the story. But really, all just we're dealing with adversity. We're dealing with white men who are in control, and I, I got to go to another building to use the bathroom. Right. And of course, she has this explosion. Taraj Henderson. That's her uh, name. okay. There we go. That's what happens when you get old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in any case, Taraj Henderson, her character has an explosion. And sure, it's great. We've seen it before. Right. I mean, it's it's cookie cutter, you know, s- script writing. Right. Yeah, and that's okay. I mean, that's it's successful for a reason. There's yeah. a way that it works for us as an audience. We appreciate those things. Yeah. But it's just that when you're trying to give an audience a new sensation, like Get Out was the other thing we talked about. The movie um, Get Out, that's exactly um, right. Where he very much uses all of the horror movie tropes. He mm-hmm. knows his horror movies. He knows mm-hmm. the genre. He knows how to work it. Yeah. And so you can see where on some level this is satire. On some level this is mm-hmm. he's almost mocking it on some level. But he's also mm-hmm. decided to go at it in a way that really pushes some buttons. It's an incredible commentary. I loved uh, – I saw the movie last week, Get mm-hmm. Out. This is by Peel. What's his first name? Um – Jordan? Uh, Jordan Peele. Yeah, I think you're right. Jordan Peele. Mm-hmm. And, yes, you're absolutely right. And the way that he, you know, we 
we're now, you know, it's it's become a trope, you know, how horror movies are done. I tell you, my mom and I, my, my mom who passed away in 2006, my biological mom, she would take me to these horror movies at a completely inappropriate age. For a child, yeah. <laughs> For a child. And I got to see uh, the Manitou and Squirm Killer oh. Worms and oh, yeah. <laughs> Friday the 13th. It was crazy. But what Peel does and what a lot of horror movies have forgotten is the suspense. Right. You don't really see a lot of blood in no. Get Out, but it's about what's going to happen next, and I'm and you're waiting to see what's happening. But I didn't even, I mean, the thing that I appreciated about Get Out wasn't so much the horror, but the commentary on liberal whites and mm. how they interact with blacks. Right. And I was like, Wow. That's a pretty interesting thing. And, of course, we all have friends who are like, hey, you know, my best bro. friend's black. Hey, yeah. bro, what's going on, man? Right. And you're like, you don't have to talk to me that, that way. I mean, right. it, it's fine. I actually appreciate someone trying to connect to me. It's a hell of a lot better than, you know, than the being opposite. an invisible man. Yeah, Sure. I know. I appreciate it. But I just hate the the assumption that there's a vocabulary that works with me. Now, if you've heard me speak that way, I like ain't. I come from a place where people mm -hmm. use the word ain't. Yeah. I like ain't. Mm -hmm. I like y'all. Yeah. Because English lacks a uh -huh. plural <laughs> right. for you. Yeah. So, um, but if you heard me speak that way and you spoke back to me that way, yeah. that would be one thing. Yeah. But when you start using this sort of cookie cutter language sure. of sure. this is how black people talk. Right. And I'm not a black person who talks that way. Then I'm now embarrassed. Am I going to bring it up and and put you on the spot for the way you're talking to me when you're trying to be friendly? Yeah, you're trying to connect to me. Yeah, I no, I'm going <laughs> to let it go. But I'm actually going to be sitting there just sort of cringing until yeah. we're done or ignoring that yeah. aspect of our interaction. Yeah. I have an I have a neighbor, white guy. Um, we were in the um, the jacuzzi mm -hmm. and. He was like, hey, man, I saw Django Unchained. Man, I, you know, killed them. <laughs> what the fantastic? I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's great. So, <laughs> Oh, I avoided that one for a while. And I forgot why, but we finally went oh, and saw boy. it. Did you? And then I was so happy. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's, it's, so this is something I was thinking as yeah. we talked about, you know, what is this discussion we're having and where do we go? Right. And I feel like part of it needs to, you know, it would be good for us to touch on the topical, on the current event sort of thing. Yeah. So um, let me throw a phrase out there. Mm -hmm. Afro, Afro, um, oh gosh, you know, uh, Afro-surrealism. Hmm. I never heard that one before. I had neither. But uh, the play up in Marin right now, it's called Bondage. It's okay. uh, Alter Theater is doing it. Uh, okay. Elizabeth Carter uh, directed. Okay. Uh, Star, I don't remember her last name, uh, is the playwright. Okay. And it's... It envisions a time, a slave, slave time. Yeah, a young slave girl in a household, in a white household, uh -huh. and uh, she has been the partner, the friend. Yeah, of the young white girl. Yeah, who is having trouble understanding that there's a difference. Hmm. She sort of understands it, but she doesn't really get okay. it. Okay, yeah, and then layer that into or you know layer or. Take that story and feed it through the, the lens of surrealism, mm -hmm. and you get to go to a funky, funky place. It's very cool. Oh, huh. okay. um, Django Unbound, I would say, Unchained, is that sort of thing. You know, what if there was a slave, an ex-slave, who could <laughs> become like a big, badass yeah. Western hero? And I'm like, um, 
Yeah, I'm, okay, what if mm-hmm. means this? We're not we're not in here. We're in Superman land now. This right. is yeah. And I love my comic books, so yeah. make him a superhero back <laughs> in that time. And sure, let's see. Yeah, it. but that's what I'm seeing. The problem that I have with revisionist, I mean, even you know, like a fantasy type revisionist, it distorts, you know, history. I mean. Yes, it'd be wonderful, you know, like you'd hear, you know, some young black kid saying, hey, man, if I lived back in slavery times, I wouldn't take that S-H-I-T, you know, I'd kick somebody's ass and da 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 And like, you don't even know, you don't even think, you're not even, there's no way that any of us can conceive how it was back then. Right. And for me to go into a distortionist, you know, Quentin Tarantino has this, you know, fantasy of right. a black guy who's, you know, kicking everybody's butt. Well, that's fine, but... You can't take away, and, and I feel that it's, it takes away from the real history. We have to understand what our mm-hmm. great, great, great pants, parents really, really had to go through. Well, I think he danced on that. He danced on that little, mm-hmm. you know. He crossed that. He crossed that line, but he seemed to do it with some intentionality. Yeah. But, but I'll agree with you that. Whenever I've heard somebody say that, oh, I would never let them do that to me. And I'm like, and you would not be here and your great-great-grandchildren wouldn't be. You wouldn't be here to have this conversation if your great-great-grandfather had had your attitude. Yeah. We need the story of those people who survived. Right. How did they survive? How did they stay sane? And what kind of dignity were they able to hold on to? Because I... We don't live very well without a sense of dignity. Right. So that's exactly right. when you're in that oppressed <coughs> situation, how do you maintain that? That is way more interesting to me than mm-hmm. the loudmouth. I'm sure there were plenty of loudmouths back then yeah. who stood up and said, oh, hell no, you're not going to do <clears throat> Yeah. That would have been over so quick. There are two books that I've, that I've read which are wonderful. One is uh, by John Lewis, who is the um, senior um, congressman. Um, member of House of Representatives, and uh, it's called Walking, I think it's Walking in the Wind, and it's basically his, um, he's basically telling, you know, he was the leader of SNCC, S-N-C-C, the Student right. Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, and he talks about how him and a group of his friends who were in divinity school basically got together and started the sit-ins, mm-hmm. and how they collaborated with the SCLC, which was headed up by Martin Luther King Jr. Right. and CORE headed up by a guy named James Farmer. Mm-hmm. But he also talks about how northern kids would come into the south to participate in the march. Right. But it brought in a different energy. Right. Uh, and so you had northern blacks who were like, I don't give a F and whatever. And right. southern blacks who were, listen, we have to practice nonviolence. This has to be, our, you know, within the spirit of God. Right. Ooh. Because, number one, spiritually, that's where they were coming from. Sure. But also, strategically, they knew there's cameras pointed at us. People need to know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Right. I mean, if you look at Black Lives Matter or, you know, some of the protesters who, mm-hmm. unfortunately, you know, cause lawsuits of damage. I mean, you know, uh, there are a lot right. of people in Black Lives Matter who really do good work or, sure. and what have you. And they really do bring about a change. But there are one or two individuals who, you know, just cause a chaos. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you'll watch on TV. You don't know who the good guys are, who the bad guys are. Right. And I think King really had a strategic reason to say, listen, there's a way that, that you, we protest. Right. And because, you know, we're not going to change any laws, which is the tangible yeah. goal here, right. unless we do things the right way. Right. So you have that. Also, there's another book called um, All God's Children by Fox Butterfield, and it talks about the very first kid who was incarcerated as an adult mm. is a guy named Willie Boskett. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is uh, in 19, I believe, 79. 
basically he was a kid in New York. He was 11 years old. He had a gun that he borrowed from his mother's boyfriend, went into a metro station, saw a homeless guy, and said, what would it be like to kill him? And shot him. Crime and punishment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it it goes into the cycle of violence. Mm -hmm. His father is in the system. His grandfather is in mm. the system, mm. and it goes to his great grandfather. Now we're we'll talking about the turn of the century. A sure. guy named Put Boskett, um, who oh. who was in the system, and it talks about how the whole federal penitentiary came mm. to be. Because I sure. guess after slavery, they had to figure out how do we how do we deal with these black people, these freedmen, right. who either are starting trouble or, according to whites, are starting trouble because sure. you know they're just expressing their freedom and, and whatever, and they're reacting against. You know, the budding Jim Crow. This is during like the 1880s. And right. so they created the federal penitentiary, the chain gang. Mm-hmm. Right. And they got prisoners to do work. Right. Building roads and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and trying to. But there's a there's a passage in the book where Pud, and this is like in 1900, mm-hmm. is talking to his father. His father's trying to say, listen, you have to be careful around white people. Right. You have to hold your head down, yes sir, no sir, and put us like f that, screw that. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna be, you know, the, I'm not doing that anymore. And of course, he gets killed. Right. <laughs> so, but it's an interesting transition from this is a newer generation mm-hmm. of 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 blacks who are not going to take it anymore. Right. You know, the predecessor of you know, I guess the hip hop generation right now, the newer right. energy. Well, and even that, I mean, <clears throat> that is such a bizarre cultural phenomenon mm-hmm. because you've got that original um, in the street you know rap hit, um, mm-hmm. DJing yeah. energy oh yeah and somebody says hey let's capitalize on this and let's start to turn this into something mm-hmm. and after a while you just need product mm-hmm. just spit any rhyme you can spit so that we've got product. Sure, sure. And so you get it to the point where it is now. And it's so funny. I, I want to use so many negative terms. And I'm like, I am not. I'm not familiar enough with the whole genre for mm-hmm. me to be trying to analyze it in any deep way. What is clear to me is it became a, it became a style of expression. Mm-hmm. And... Certain elements of it, especially those wanting to talk about what is life in South Central or you oh, know, sure. what it means to be in the yeah. hood, yeah. Um, became very popular. And so just like gangster culture became very popular in Prohibition, mm-hmm. this has become very popular. It's become very much an image. Yeah. How much is it connected to the real world? And what's cool about it is you can trace it back to roots of real people having mm-hmm. real feelings, mm-hmm. real experiences. Yeah. And expressing them in a real beautiful mm-hmm. expression, but I think somewhere along the line, who and what that is about got lost and got romanticized. Mm-hmm. And so all those young guys who know—I mean, it's in my neighborhood right now. Um, there are guys who, you know, their grandmother lived down the street, mm-hmm. and so they were used to being at the house, and now they're grown and they're raising kids, mm-hmm. and their buddies know where to find them. So sometimes you will hear all this noise down the street, mm-hmm. and I, one day I was just listening, and I realized these guys are rapping. Mm-hmm. There's a guy actually, <laughs> he's booming on his car stereo yeah. some beats. So he can go ahead and he spit himself his is, lyrics. Yeah, yeah. And he's talking about the life that he lives. And I'm like, wow. 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 On some level. Yeah. Much, much of what he's doing is the same stuff you hear on the radio. Uh-huh. 
But what I'm looking at is where he's from. Yeah. How generationally that's connected. Yeah. How amazing it is when there are little kids running around and these guys being fathers, uncles, whatever. Yeah. Managing little yeah. kids. Yeah. As they sit with a car parked in the middle of the street sometimes and, ch- and chat and smoke and drink uh-huh. and eat and visit. Uh-huh. And there's so much of that that is not just not bad. Yeah. It's healthy and mm-hmm. it is it's a fascinating. I mean, the generational thing just mm-hmm. amazes me. So I'm it's like, form, it's, a gr- it's a wonderful form of expression. If I, people understood that mm-hmm. and not just the music that they heard. Right. Would they appreciate it in the same way? Because then we wouldn't have people taking what they call black fashion. Don't you love, don't yeah. you love a phrase like that? Yeah. It's like, um, nobody told me about that. I sure don't dress that way. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. You know, that is a way of dressing. Yeah. That's not my way of dressing. Yeah. And are you telling me my way of dressing isn't black? Because I'm black. So <laughs> how is it not black? Yeah. I'm, I'm confused. Yeah. But there's a positive thing about it, I think. Um, you know, I think about Ralph... Was it Ralph Ellison who wrote The Invisible Man? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, you know, in the 50s, he was writing about how, as a black man, his form of expression or his way of expressing himself is not recognized in a white man's world, of course, right. in the 50s. Right. And now it's completely the opposite. I, I, so about a year and a half ago, I was in Dimapur, Nagaland, which is the far regions in India. I was visiting okay. a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And... Um, a kid was walking around with a Michael Vick shirt. Right. <laughs> Michael Vick on. Wow. Uh, and it was a Virginia Tech uh, Michael uh, Vick jersey, which okay. is his college days. Right. And that's, so that's even more street. And I'm like, how in the world this kid, this kid, I don't even know if this kid even knew, knows right. who Michael, Michael Vick is. Because Nagaland in, in, in India, it, it borders China. I mean, it's okay. undeveloped. Right. It's not like New Delhi mm-hmm. or anything like that. I mean, you know, they get power cut off. Okay. Uh, you know, once every other hour. So I'm like, wow. And I've heard stories like that where the hip-hop culture mm-hmm. is not just music, but it's a form of expression. This is right. a way that I can express right. myself. You right. have Indians rapping. You have, sure. right. you know, um, the Beastie Boys or whatever. Everybody. Yeah, 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 everybody. Chinese rappers and, you know, Filipino rappers and all that stuff. So it gives me a sense of pride. Of course, it can be very cliched, like, hey, you know, this is how black people are or whatever, even if it's not really true. I mean, you know. We're in, we're in our mid forties, and so right. you know it doesn't. A lot of it doesn't really apply to us, I guess, not anymore. But still, the fact that someone can take mm-hmm. something that's ours and right. I mean, just how, how rock and roll emerged—that was the well, blues. And that's I see. I try to find this positive in yeah. it. Yeah, it is not mine. I do not claim ownership of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel that I I feel required to have an awareness of it because people assume. Yeah. That I know about it or that yeah. I have familiarity with it. Yeah. And because of that, I've actually had a very negative reaction and tried to distance myself and push away. Now that I'm in a neighborhood where I cannot do that, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, let me understand. Because these guys, you hear it all the time. They have hopes and aspirations of yep. hitting it. Yep. They are going to the studio. Yep. They've got a buddy or they are going oh, yeah. someplace and they are throwing down some money. Yep. And they are throwing down some tracks and yeah. they are hoping that they are going to hit with something. Yep. And somebody's going to. Yeah. But I know for a fact that the majority of those folks are not. Right. Maybe none of them are. Right. And while they're on their way to doing it, mm-hmm. they're living life. Yeah. And they're living life right down the street from me. Mm-hmm. So is my life more valid than theirs? 
No. <laughs> of course. Of course. And it's just fascinating because I look at that America that just sees black people through that lens. And yeah. Goes, wow, you don't even know what all that means. You don't even know what's behind all those lyrics you like or that fashion you like. Right. Right. People, people will, I mean, it's, it's a smorgasbord. People will take what they want mm-hmm. and they'll identify with, you know, the way they want. Like, I, so to get on a topical thing, you probably heard about the controversy with Pepsi. Khloe Kardashian oh, put a commercial boy, yeah. out. <laughs> and I guess in the commercial, they're protesting something. Right. And of course, they got, you know, black folks hip hopping and pop lock because that's what you do in right. Black Lives Matter. You know, <laughs> some kid, some kid, <laughs> well, you're protesting hey, street, we're protesting, right. you know, yeah. and, and uh, so she gives uh, a cop a Coke and everything goes wonderful or whatever. Pepsi, not but, a Coke. Right, exactly. <laughs> Pepsi. Oh, did I say Coke? Uh-huh. Whoop, Freudian slip. Sorry, Pepsi. <laughs> Coke is on my mind. So, <laughs> so, but should I be upset about it? I think it's funny. I think it's hilarious. I mean, I, right. to me, for me to be outraged, I mean, to hear right. people say, oh, my God, it's outrageous. It's horrible. Come on. You know, there are plenty of things to be outrageous about. Right. Another kid is going to get shot by a cop. That's something to be outrageous right. about. Pepsi, there's some executives who are still stuck in, I don't know, the 90s or whatever. The 60s. Oh, my. <laughs> well, it's funny. Yeah. I, I can see how they thought they were forward-thinking with this. Because in the 60s, remember they did, um, no, that was Coke. Yeah, I, I, I like, like to, to teach, teach the, the world, world to sing. sing. Yeah. But that was their way of picking up the protest energy of oh, that this, period yeah. and going, see, we're just like those hippie kids, <laughs> but we're clean and nice and we harmonize. Right, right, right. So I really feel like worked. they were picking that up. Well, it worked for the commercial. That back then. Yeah, yeah. It did work. Yeah. I mean, even people laughing at it. Mm-hmm. That it was infectious and mm-hmm. it caught it caught a vibe. I'm sure there were hippies who were like, "Hey, you know, you're commercializing what we're doing." Right. But really, sure that's that. what the seventies were all about. To be quite honest, I mean, there was all sorts of. I mean, I think the disco period and right. even the Partridge Family or whatever. You know, you saw on TV the commercialization of the sixties. You know, yeah, right. people they kept dressed, trying. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it was interesting to see this backlash the way it has. Yeah. You know, I'm like, yay. <laughs> well, hey, millennials are very, very intelligent. I mean, you know, um, mm-hmm. they are very, I guess the, the expression now is called woke. You right. Know, yeah. Yeah. They're woke. Much. And uh, like your 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 um, stepson, your son. I mean, oh, is man. he he's he's a millennial, you know, he, he is a millennial. And I love every now and then I have to stand up for him. Mm-hmm. Most of the time I'm just. Trying to keep from visibly rolling my eyes. <laughs> but every now and then I have to stop and go, wow, from his perspective, that makes sense. Or even worse, I see where I'm rigid mm-hmm. about something that if I stopped and thought about it two seconds, um, you know, like the phone. We've all got this device that yep. we carry. Yep. And some of us have gotten very cutting edge. What I would think of as cutting edge. Some of us are very much on the finger on the pulse of what's happening now so mm-hmm. you just swipe your little phone yep you don't even have cash you don't do anything it's all done on, and i'm like wow i know my bank wants to be in my phone <laughs> and the the phone number for the uh, the 24 hour teller service is on my phone but beyond yeah. that yeah. i'm really nervous about it and i'm like well here's a whole generation that's doing it mm-hmm. and i'm being old-fashioned yeah. So I have to see those moments yeah. where there's that difference happening. Yeah, it's amazing. Like I like, I'm very tech savvy. I mean, uh, I have uh, I love laptops, and I mm-hmm. um, I uh, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm a Mac guy. I I, um, I my dad was a graphic artist uh, when before he retired, 
and this is uh, in like the late 70s, uh, early 80s. And, um, you know, before the days of the computer, he, mm -hmm. he did everything on a light table. You know, he had his little uh, oh, calligraphy things and sure. he did calligraphy for newsletters, like mm -hmm. their little teeny weeny businesses before right. the days of the intranet. You basically hired someone to do a newsletter to talk about what the company's doing or whatever. Sure. So that's what he did. Wow. And then the Mac came out, mm -hmm. graphic user interface, GUI. And so he bought one because he needed it. And uh, so we got to learn how to use it. Although he was like, hey, don't touch that. That's not a toy. You don't, you don't mess with that. Which makes it so attractive. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And so uh, when I came out of school, you know, I uh, bought like a, a Mac G3. I had a Beige G3 and I had uh, the Tepismo and all sorts of laptops. And so I'm used to doing things on the laptop, but they are kids now. Everything is done on the phone. Right. They type. I know a friend of mine who, you know, will type, you know, like letters mm -hmm. on the phone. I'm like, well, hey, you know, don't you back it up on the laptop? It's like, no, I don't have a laptop. But everything's on the phone. I'm like, right. how in the world do you do that? But they do. Right. It's amazing how 2007, I mean, did you even know, did you even think that in 2007 when the iPhone came out? I, I have an original iPhone mm. right here. The very first iPhone. Oh. St still works. <laughs> but did you even think that it would revolutionize how we communicate. I did. I mean, we grew up with the Jetsons. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> so, right. <laughs> so, uh, and Dick Tracy with the with that silly little arm watch yeah, thing that he gets, had. Get smart, yeah. yeah and and uh, Star Trek. And, and Star Trek. So, I guess I thought it would happen, but you're right. I did not think, oh, that's going to happen in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I'm... I'm afraid that we're going to hear the first teleport happen sometime <laughs> soon. And, I, and I'm afraid of that because I really am going to be an old man at that point. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not getting in there. I will. If you want to send somebody from right there where I can see yeah. them, right across the room where I can see it happen and I can go touch them afterwards and see they're alive, yeah. maybe I'll consider it. But you're not sending me from L.A., you know, from here to yeah. L.A. <laughs> so what was your first Internet experience? Internet, geez. Or a computer. For your first computer experience. First computer experience is easy because my stepfather mm -hmm. in the 70s mm -hmm. started taking night classes. Mm -hmm. And the weird thing, because at the time, and that was when it was. This is in Michigan? Thing. I keep no, on thinking you're in Detroit. Detroit. California. California. Okay, in, uh, got it. In LA. Claremont. Okay. Claremont, California, just on the edge of LA County. Hmm. Um, it's with the old paper. You know, you would code. Like he would have to do all the programming he did with that, that, in that the 70s? old. Paper, the, yeah. uh, the what do you call it? The accordion, you know, it's all attached. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. So you about. get a whole box yeah. of that paper, and yeah. it's all folded, and it goes up into the machine. Right, and goes right. He was doing that, and and I thought, okay, well, yeah, because computers were coming in, everybody was talking about them. Mm -hmm. The personal computer was going to be right down the road, and sure enough, it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, by the time I went from. High school into the army. By the time I got out of the army, mm -hmm. he was in management at his job. Wow! Because they needed somebody who he was. He had been a lineman. He worked for Water and Power in L.A. Mm -hmm. and he had been a lineman. Mm -hmm. They needed somebody who knew. They needed somebody who could schedule and program mm -hmm. um, jobs. Yeah. And they needed somebody who could interface with the computer that they were getting because all these mm -hmm. old management people didn't know anything about it and didn't mm -hmm. care. Well, here's this relatively young guy, you know, who's been studying it mm -hmm. and is basically on the cutting edge of it. And so he ended up in management. Wow, that's fantastic. And, you know, he's a jeans T-shirt kind of guy. Uh -huh. And suddenly he had to start wearing, like, regular shirts. <laughs> yeah. He still never, like, got buttoned down or anything, uh -huh. but... 
I mean, you know, short sleeve. It's amazing a black man could do that. I mean, uh, no, he's a white man. Oh, okay. No, my stepfather. He's, oh, he's a white man. Yeah, okay, got it. And um, but yeah, he he jumped in right away. So mm-hmm. we saw those boxes of paper, and everybody ends up using them, right? You mm-hmm. give it to the kids so they can draw on it and yeah. color and do yeah. stuff because you yeah. just got reams of paper, right? And yeah, so that was when I got introduced to it. Did he? Did you go to the job and he let you? Would you use the computer? I didn't see. No, 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 never. We went to the job. There was once, once a year, they did a big party and families came in. Okay. But again, at that point, he was still working. He was an electrical journeyman. He, okay. You know, he would sometimes come to Northern California. He'd go wherever the water system connected to the electrical system. That's mm. you know, LA mm. is. You know Chinatown. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know he whatever whatever that story is about. Mm-hmm. Those are the places that he worked. Okay. And then suddenly he was an office guy. Mm-hmm. Suddenly they were like, "Bang, we need somebody who can do this. Mm-hmm. You can do it, Mac." And they brought him in, and he mm-hmm. did it. Wow. But yeah, we didn't didn't really pay much attention to it. Kind of mm-hmm. learned the basics mm-hmm. and went, "Okay, this is complicated. I don't want to do this." Yeah. But, you know, just to set up something like Pong. Oh right! Take I, I remember so that. much oh, scheduling, you know, so much yeah. um, programming, so much line by line of code. Oh sure, sure. So yeah, I was like, nah, not, <laughs> I don't care about this. And then by the time I got up here, uh-huh. you know, in t- San Francisco area, then uh-huh. I was like, ooh, I might need to get a computer. And and when was this? What what year? I got uh, probably like eighty eight. I got a. Okay. It was, um, I want to say it was Hewlett Packard. Um, it was a word. Um, it's like a word processing, a it digital was a word, word processor. processor. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that did some computing. And yeah. you could put disk in it and you could save your work. Right, and, right. You know, nothing better than being able to cut and paste. Mm-hmm. Ooh, there's yeah. a concept. <laughs> You could type something up and yeah. just edit it right there on the and screen. And this was before the mouse, so you had to. Right. I, I remember, yes, it was before the mouse. Right. Because I remember um, my mom, my biological mom, she, um, and I grew up in Washington, D.C. Uh, she had the, so she went to um, the Washington School for Secretaries. Uh, D.C. was wonderful oh, for right. for getting, for having Howard University and mm-hmm. really empowering black uh, people's chocolate city. So. And so she went to Washington School for Secretaries, and she got these wonderful federal government jobs. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to her job. This is like in 85, 84. And she worked on Wang computers. There was a dude named Wang. Right, right. And they were these green computers where the keyboard is welded right. to with the, uh, the, with the screen. Right. And you saw like a green text on mm-hmm. black. And, right. And, oh, gosh, yes. Yeah, and, and just like, you know, what you were talking about, the paper. Yeah. Where you'd have to put it into this very noisy uh, printer and all that stuff. Yeah. And I played little games. This is like command line interface. There's no, there's no, there are no, you know, icons that you can click or anything like right. that. Right. Nothing. Yeah. And uh, at our school, uh, I went to school at uh, Duke Ellington School of the Arts. They had Commodore 64s. That was a computer room. Mm-hmm. But I never messed with it. I mean, I, I basically was, hey, you know, I, I was very much into video games. I was into the arcade games and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I went, when I went to NYU. Uh, there were these computer labs which had IBM PCs. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I really started to work on computers and got to use the, uh, I think, Windows 3.1 for the first time. Mm. But when I did temp work after I came out of school, I basically had to find a day job. 
I would go to these temp agencies and they would say, listen, we're going to put you in front of a computer and we're going to see what you can do. Now, in those days, Windows 3.1, you didn't have a mouse. Right. They had these templates. Do you remember these, these plastic templates they would put over the keyboard where it would show you like you would hit Alt F4 uh-huh. to copy or Shift oh. F4 to paste? Mm-mm. And they were even color coordinated. Right. And so you would have to know. Usually you would look at the this plastic thing. They, they would just sure. put over the uh, the keyboard. And they would take it away from you to see if you could do it by memory. Wow. Which I could. And so, if, of course, if you did that, you got a job. And these were the days where, you know, you didn't. I think I had a pager and I had to wait at home to, you know, have them call me a job. I, I just hated those days doing temp. <laughs> just, just hated it. I don't think you were alone there. <laughs> But those, that was my first, and uh, then I think in 95, that's when I first, my boss was like, listen, I want to get on AOL. You know, AOL was the big thing, All right. America yes. Online. And so I had to, you know, like, I had to get like a, um, um, and a, basically come up with some sort of a, in a, what do you call it, a documentation. I had to work with finance to, to have them approve. Spreadsheet? No. no, like a, uh, it's a... Um, it's a it's a financial term. It's basically oh. a document. It's like an agreement. It's like a one year contract that oh, you know. Okay. Yeah. So in any case, uh, we did that, and um, my boss never used it. I mean, he was always out of town, and so I was like, "Hey, if you're not going to use it. I'm going to use it." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and these are the days where it's nine dollars and ninety nine cents an hour. Oh. So you had to quickly get on and get off. Right. And if you went on for too long, or if you went to take a bathroom break or whatever, you'd run up a big bill. Mm-hmm. You know, so those were like, this is like 95. Right. But those are the, you know, early days of the Internet. So that, that, that was my experience. Dang. What about yours? <laughs> no, that, I, it was when I got up here and I decided I was going back to college. Mm-hmm. And, and then my mom bought me that little word processor. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to start carrying work back and forth between school. Yeah. And get on the library, uh, you know, computers in the library at school. And yeah. So that, and I was, my focus was on, uh, I was a liberal studies major with uh, English, emphasis in English, mm-hmm. in writing specifically. Yeah. And so, yeah, I loved how much power and control I had over text. You know, and the word processor. Before I got the word processor, I'd been typing, mm-hmm. and you know when you mess up in typing, you, you right. get out some whiteout. And <laughs> if that's you, right. You, you know what I've learned to do is just to throw my thoughts down, mm-hmm. and then you can reorganize them. Yeah. And I find I do that all the time. I will often get to the statement that I should lead with mm-hmm. after I've said everything else I need to say, and then suddenly, and I'll look down and go, "Wow, that is the perfect sentence to start." what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't have found it. Right. You had to go through the process. I had to go through the process, and I don't think I would have done it, you know, know, the old way of writing. Right, right, of course. You know, Mm -hmm. I used to do that with letters sometimes where I would, like, circle a block of text and put an arrow to, this should be up here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then maybe if I rewrote it, Mm -hmm. I would do that out. But Mm -hmm. now I just, it's just the way I write. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, no, that started with college. Yeah. Did you learn, did you know how to type? Because when I was in junior high school, they taught us how to type. I learned typing somewhere. I don't remember where. Um, I had. Um, I had until I think I hope I finally got rid of them. 
When I moved in with Mara, mm-hmm. um, I had to get rid of a bunch of stuff. I had to get rid of almost 20 years, over mm. 20 years worth of stuff because I had I had a few boxes that I had yeah. just been carrying with me move to move. Yeah, yeah. So 30 years, some of that stuff. Um, and one of those were some books on typing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm never going to look at this again. <laughs> I'm, you know, I love I love those old skills. I love being able to not just hunt and peck and yeah. actually use all your fingers. Yeah. But I'm not going to, like, go back over the exercises. But I did. Maybe that was college. Maybe it was college right after the Army or while I was in the Army even. Yeah. Um, somewhere along there. Yeah. I learned, you know, just straight typing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, that, you know, translated. So you're right. I forgot that before the mouse and before there were just icons. Mm-hmm. That If you wanted to do something, you had to know or you had to look it up. and Right, right. And it's funny. um, because I jumped around, okay, so I went to NYU, and then I graduated, and then I went to, I worked for Forbes magazine. Mm. It's funny, in those early days, there was no consensus. This is before Windows 95, and right. really before Microsoft <coughs> sort of took over the universe, you know, as far sure. as uh, tech is concerned. But there were so many uh, operating systems and so many programs out there mm-hmm. that everyone was using. Like, I was using Multimate and Data Ease and... All these crazy word processing because no company had a a consensus of what was going to be the standard. Right. And so it's funny just learning how to use all of these crazy operating systems until around 1995. Everyone's using Word. Right. Like I remember Word Perfect and Lotus One Two yeah, Three. Yeah, yeah, And and all of that stuff. And finally, you know, sort of Microsoft just sort of took over. We just got old. We just got real. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun to uh, it's fun to look back and and you know say hey you know this is how you know things came to be and now you know this phone that I have I mean literally I'm plugging it up even in my bed mm-hmm. <laughs> and even if I'm even even if I like I'm just I'm away from it right now right if something happened in the world there'd be a push notification and boom I'll yeah. know all about it right just right there so. It, it's amazing. Yeah, I know. There needs to be a new word for what <coughs> that thing is because phone is the least of what it is. Yeah. I never thought that tech, that the phone would conquer, you know, this. And, like, I'm sort of sad now because, you know, there's a thing happening now with Apple where Apple is not innovating their laptops anymore. Like, you know, the latest oh. micro, the oh, latest, right. latest, latest uh, Mac laptop is, uh, you know, they want to go thinner, but they're taking away a lot of the ports, and they're just not focusing on it because the real money is on the phones, the phones and the iPads. Right, right. So a laptop guy like me is like, well, hey, you know, can I get a new laptop which has all the ports that I want to use and all of that stuff? And it's like, hey, that stuff is getting more and more obsolete now. You have to be old school. Right, old school. Like the desktops. You know, a lot of the desktops are really, really old, so... Yeah, so it is what it is. No, it's it's. Um, I don't know. I find myself. I want to stay alive. Is the word that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. I want to stay current mm-hmm. to some extent. I want to live in the world of now, not live in the world of those ever-growing memories. Yeah. Um, but I also realize now that. I used to be a young person looking at old people and how they get stuck in their ways and they don't want to change. Mm-hmm. And I'm at that point now where I feel like that is a valid <clears throat> option. You say to yourself, I don't want to learn something else. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. Yeah. And and you have to let it go. Now, 
I also realize that that means that the world is going to pass you by to a certain extent. Sure. And you have to be comfortable being mm-hmm. you know, off the main highway. <laughs> you yeah. have to be comfortable being off in the hills yeah. technologically. Well, I mean, a lot of people think that's the reason why Trump is president now, because, you know, there are haves and have-nots, and uh, those who have-nots are usually people who have been rendered obsolete because there's a new generation of people who are in touch with technology, so they're getting those jobs, and they're right. getting all of the fruits of technology and, I guess, the new um, the new job market. Yeah. And a lot of people are just obsolete, and they're not getting the same money, amount of money that they did beforehand, and they're upset about it. Mm-hmm. And you know, and Trump has given them, you know, a promise: "Hey, I'm going to make America great again." Whatever the hell that right. means. Right, we're going to go back, and it's like, no, we we yeah. are so not going back. <clears throat> right, and going back is going to cost us. <laughs> going back is not moving us forward. Going yeah. back is going backwards. Well, there's retro America, and there's metro America. There's an America that wants to move forward who embraces technology and change. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about, you know, like um, new African-Americans like, you know, Peel and uh, Get Out. You know, uh-huh. he is a new generation of an African-American right. writer who is creating a new dialogue. And, you know, that's changing. People embrace the change. You know, there are people right. who are like, hey, I'm going to see that. I may not be black, but I'm going to watch that movie or I'm going to see mm-hmm. someone, a totally different, you know, minority character taking on, you know, a a standard role that would have been, I don't know, a white person or whatever. And some embrace the change and some are like, oh, that's different from what I'm used to. Some people run away from change. Oh, yeah. And which I find very fascinating. I mean, I find it fascinating uh, just meeting individuals who want things to be the way they are. Mm -hmm. And things can never be the way they are. You can never really go back home things again. Are, right. Things are always going to keep changing. Mm-hmm. And I think I think we all have to make choices about that. Just be conscious about it. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to opt out, know that you, that means you're going to lose out. You're going to opt. You're going to choose to be content with what you've got. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you have a vision that's broad enough to go, okay, this is actually going to I can keep this, yeah, and keep and be this way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it means that the world is going to keep changing, and you maybe aren't going to participate in that. Do you think there's a danger in nostalgia? I mean, there's there's some good things about nostalgia, but I, I can see a, a lot of bad things about nostalgia. Nostalgia is a drug, and <laughs> and I mean it. It just. I have a friend. I have a Facebook friend who mm-hmm. was when we were little kids. We were neighbors. Mm-hmm. He just found me on Facebook, and okay. he's like, "Whoa, yeah." Um, and he said something about that being the happiest time of his life. And I'm like, well, I have a lot of happy memories from back then, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah. Um, I also kind of remember that it wasn't always easy or whatever. Just like I know now that the things I thought were horrible back then might have been bad on some limited level, but that's all it was. Mm-hmm. And I survived and I've thrived. I've gone on. So mm-hmm. I don't want to paint the past with this, oh, it's so beautiful or it's so awful. It's it's complicated and we're only going to remember bits and pieces of it. But more importantly, mm-hmm. I notice folks my age, their parents are dying. Yeah. And some of my older friends are dying. Mm-hmm. And if I don't get new friends, that means I'm going to find myself at that very lonely place that some old people get to. Yeah. And at the same time, because I came to this consciousness a while back, mm-hmm. I've got a young friend who I met, I believe I met him when he was about four. Mm-hmm. And he just turned 21 this year. 
All right. And that was so cool. Mm -hmm. I remember when my nephew was about 10, and I think he's turned 25 or 26. So they could be 26 this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, he was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. I couldn't wait for him to turn 21. I was like, dude, <laughs> we are so going out drinking as soon as you turn 21. Yeah. I can't wait. And when I talk to him about what's going on in his life, and he yeah. talks to me about what's going on in the world from his perspective. Yeah. There's ways that I want to historically dismiss what he's talking about or put it in another context. Mm-hmm. But I also find myself having to shut up mm-hmm. and listen yeah. and let go yeah. of my old-fashioned way of looking at the world. Yeah. So I want nostalgia. I want to keep a place for nostalgia in my life so I can enjoy those happy memories and those sure. good times and those good feelings. Yeah. But I don't want it to overwhelm. I don't want to take up the space. Yeah. I want to keep some space for what's happening now. Right. And a little bit of space for that change that I know is going to happen that is the future. Yeah. An interesting story. So I, um, a couple of years back, I was I participated with Bendelstiff Studios. They do mm-hmm. a thing called Stories High, which mm-hmm. um, if, if there are any budding uh, writers or actors or directors or anyone who just want to get involved in theater, that's a wonderful place to go. Um, Bendelstiff Studios. They're a Philippine company, but, you know, they, they really bring they anyone embrace, in. Yeah. yeah. So in any case, I'm doing the scene, and uh, there are all these young – I'm sure you've experienced this before, but everyone is younger than you are. Right. Every, at least, you know, 10 or 20 years younger than you are. And they even bring a prop on, on, on the stage, which is a, um, a phone, a rotary phone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, while we're doing the thing, and, you know, we're in the middle of rehearsal, and – it just occurred to me, I told one of the actors, like, have you ever used this before? Right. And they were like, no. Right. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that is just. That's where we're at. And, uh, but I remember feeling a bit depressed uh, when we were doing the stories high thing because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God, you know, I'm surrounded by all these old young folks and I just feel so old. Right. But then I said to myself, you know, I have a role in this production that we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. And it is not to act like everybody else. Right. You know, if I'm going to be the, you know, maybe the sage, you know, older individual, but they brought me in here. They brought me in this production because of who I am. Right. Uh, right. A middle-aged black guy who, you know, has a lot of energy and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But embrace, <clears throat> because they are, they, mm-hmm. they're the ones who brought me in. Embrace right. the person that I am. And what we are changes all the time. So when I think about nostalgia, uh, I, I, I think back to, let's say my older, you know, when I was a young kid and my older sure. uncles and aunts or whatever, and they would either talk or poo poo or, you know, reminisce about the old days or whatever. Mm. And I guess a cycler, I mean, we all do it. Right. But there's still, there's still some, I mean, you know, the, the technology that comes out almost every day, like every app that's, there's a new app that's coming out or there's sure. a new startup company that's coming out mm-hmm. or Kickstarter there, you know, selling this new product or whatever. There's so many new and interesting things that are coming out and, you know, we get it, you know, through technology, we hear about it all the time. Right. It's almost exciting. It's almost exciting waking up the next day and saying, hey, what, what new thing is happening? Yeah. Keeping space for that. Mm-hmm. And... If you can find that balance, and that's the thing, each of us has got to find his own balance. Mm-hmm. You know, I need this much of this. I'm going to. I'm. I just. I was looking a used bookstore. I was looking for Shakespeare for a class, a student I mm-hmm. have, and I passed by a pile of old comics, mm. and I saw a comic that I loved, mm-hmm. and I flipped through, and there was a bunch of them, and I just grabbed them. <laughs> 
And Marvel, DC, what? what no, was it? neither one. Uh, it's um, a company called Eclipse, okay. and I, if they're around anymore, they're doing some other kind of publishing. But um, they were huge in the eighties and nineties. Hmm, okay, um, and they actually in the. I guess they started in the 70s, mm-hmm. and they changed the way color is done in comics. Oh, okay. So they spent – their books were way more expensive. I can remember when their books were like $1.50, $1.75, $2, and the average at that point was $0.65 cents to $0.75 cents for Superman or you know, Daredevil, Spider-Man, whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's like I looked at those books back then and went, ah, I'm not paying for that. But every now and then they were just so gorgeous, mm-hmm. had to pick one up. And then they were smart enough to get really good stuff and off the beaten path story. They weren't just – wasn't just a knockoff of Superman or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so this was one of those. And it's – I love the story. It's a coming-of-age story. Mm-hmm. It's very much modeled on a sort of superhero world. But it's a parallel world, and in the real world, mm-hmm. um, so the main character is called Zot, and Zot okay. uh, meets a girl in our world. Okay. And so it's that crossover. Like, he at one point shows her around her world, how great her world is, because she goes to his world, and mm-hmm. it's all ridiculous, you know, sci-fi, kind of happy, happy superhero world. Yeah. And... And he's fascinated with our world. Mm-hmm. You know, things like the way the leaves turn, colors, and fall in mm-hmm. the fall. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, yeah, that's kind of cool. So I love that. And I, so I, you know, spent a couple of evenings just kind of flipping through those nice. and really enjoying it. Yeah. And now I'm going to put them away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I may actually send them to my nephew. I asked, he's mm-hmm. got kids. And he's like, I remember when you brought some comic books. It was so great. When yeah. You send me some comic yeah. books. I'm yeah. Like, Dude. <laughs> I'm going to send you some stuff, but it will be off the beaten path. It may it mm-hmm. may be surprising. Yeah. And at the same time, like, I'm working on – I work with a group of seventh graders. Mm-hmm. We're working on a brand new play. Not brand new, but um, new. Mm-hmm. You know, it was um, it was workshopped here in the Bay Area in 2013. It's called Hannah and the Dread Gazebo. Okay. It's going to be up in Ashland. It's up in Ashland now. They just opened oh, okay. a week or two ago. In Oregon. Up in Oregon, yeah. Okay, yeah. And uh, it's a new play. Um, it approaches playmaking in a very modern way. I can't mm-hmm. say new way because other people are also exploring this. Yeah. How do you compete with film and the internet <coughs> and all of that? Mm-hmm. Excuse me, but even smarter is how do you incorporate those technologies and uh, what's the word for it? Habits. Yeah. We all take for granted now because of all this new technology. Mm-hmm. How can you incorporate that knowledge into your play mm-hmm. so that your audience has a moment? So there's a moment where sister's trying to find somebody in her family mm-hmm. and she starts because she can't get anybody on the phone. She starts to write an email and on her computer she sees that her brother is available to chat. So mm. they go into a chat. Mm. I'm like, so how are we going to make that work? Is there, I'm sure they have, I don't know, like monitors or whatever, or... We could, we could go there, but I think in the production, I'll bet they don't do that. Okay. They might, and that is totally one way to do it, and we would understand yeah. if that was done. Yeah. But that's what I mean, is to just to take that kind of stuff, that's what playwrights are playing with. Mm-hmm. So as a theater artist, mm-hmm. I'm excited to work on a play where it doesn't work in just the same structural way that plays, mm-hmm. and... You know, on the other end of the spectrum, I just finished Death of a Salesman. Yeah. A play that I read when I was in school and thought was old. Mm-hmm. 
And here we are. We just did it. And we did it in a production where it felt very fresh and relevant. And I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. I am reminded as an artist that those old things can still have life. We can still make it relevant to a contemporary audience. Mm -hmm. But I also, as an artist, need to be flexible enough to let this new stuff make space for this new stuff so that I can – you're right. I'm not the kids running around doing this. And my old knowledge actually mm-hmm. helps us get some of this done. Yeah. But some of it I have to throw open to the kids and go, how should we do this? Because mm-hmm. I might be too old-fashioned about my way of thinking about how to stage a chat. Right, right. They might think of something where I'm like, oh, that's great. That's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And I love being I love being in that position. I love finding that way to – because that's – Otherwise, you become an artist, and then you become an older... Like, Don Rickles died. Yeah, that's right. I didn't even know Don Rickles was still alive. (laughs) Yeah. But then they showed some clips of him in recent years doing stuff. Yeah. And I got tired of Don Rickles when I was a kid, because it was the same old shtick. Yeah. It's the vaudeville stuff. Yeah. But but to see him stick with it, and then put it in like a Mm -hmm. 2009, 2006... You know, 2016 context right. was a little bit satisfying. It was like, ooh, yeah. I kids might not get what this is about, <clears throat> but I get a special treat. So yeah. there's my nostalgia. And and um, I Jimmy Kimmel um, mm. actually cried mm-hmm. uh, when he heard that uh, Rickles uh, died, and I was so surprised. I was like, wow, it it meant something to him. So. Um, right. And one of, one of the things about I still think that young individuals, millennials or whatever, I mean, we still I mean, I remember doing it when I was a kid. You still go to your elders and say, hey, how did this happen or how did this come to be? Right. And I still and history is still very important. And now, especially in the day of in these days of what they call fake news and sure. you don't even know what source you can go to. I mean, right. You know, we had. Webster's Dictionary. You never challenged Webster's Dictionary. It was Webster's Dictionary. Right. Or you had an encyclopedia collection. Right. And now, it's it's Wikipedia, but, you know, are they but telling the know, truth? Right, yeah. And, okay, let me go to this news source, CNN, but let me go to another source. I mean, now, I get my news from at least four or five different sources because right. I need it to be verified one way or another. Right. So, it's, it's still important for, like, I can go to Dad and say, hey, how were things... In the 60s. Give me a sure. perspective that I can't get anywhere else. Right. And especially when people die, like you talked about, you know, a friend of yours who passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had a, uh, there was a colleague of ours. I worked for the district attorney's office in oh, San right. Francisco yeah, and uh, someone passed away. But, you know, we have attorneys in our office who are so skilled. They've been around for so long. They know case law or how to deal with, let's say, a judge or how to deal with certain things. They have perspective that other colleagues need. And all of a sudden, somebody dies, and it's like, sorry, you lost your chance. Right. Wow. Like a grandmother. You know, like Mm -hmm. my grandmother, I still rue the day that I didn't record my grandmother talking. Uh, You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I went through a short period where I was, every time I visited family, I did recording. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And it's so funny. So when I moved to my place 20, 21 years ago mm-hmm. um, in Oakland, Walgreens around the corner, mm-hmm. I went over there and I bought a tape player, oh, cassette cool. player, mm-hmm. and it was cheap. Yeah. I went to look for one because I found out the old one's just dead. It's just dead. Yeah. You know, it wasn't about batteries. I don't know what's wrong with it. It's dead. Yeah. I was like, well, I'll just go get another one. I went to Walgreens. 
Burgers just have anything like that anymore. Oh, sure. Well, yeah. Hey, technology. I mean, you know, try to go. Actually, they have the uh, the little. Uh, yeah. What do you call them? The um, I'm sure it's a USB or flash. What, yeah, recorder. It's, it's. Oh, I didn't even think. Jeez, are there flash recorders? Yeah, I'm sure they're teeny weeny because our yeah, it was just some teeny weeny thing, and I was yeah. like, oh, I guess, <laughs> I guess I, if I want to do this, I should because that would be great to yeah. have everything just on a nice little um, mm-hmm. what's it called the um, like the uh, what are the files um, when MP3 you got files sound, MP yeah yeah MP3 files yeah, MP3 yeah. player well yeah. which is now MP whatever player because they've already gone past four haven't they well there's MP3 there, there are all sorts of formats I think MP3 is still the it's like the preferred format but there's mm. like wave and there's AIF right and Windows Media you know what have you. And but, right, you can walk into Walgreens the same way I walked in and got that tape player, and yeah. for around the same price, yeah. you can get something that can do so much more, but yeah. you've got to know how to work it. Right. It's funny. So I'm a paralegal for the DA's office, and every now and then I work in white-collar crime. They'll be, uh, we'll do a search warrant, and an investigator will say, listen, we went to Joe Smith's house, and we got his information, and but here his mail files or here his um, recordings that he did off of a phone that we got a gateway whatever I, I, mm. you know some mm. some phone or whatever we can't open it try to figure it out can you open it uh-huh. it could be you know some it could be some phone that was made in Japan or uh-huh. you know some in China or whatever mm-hmm. or it could be something that was made 21 years ago right like a wow. Lotus one two three file and we have to open it because we have to know whether it's discoverable or not. Right. I go through this almost every day. Wow. <laughs> trying to figure it out. But it, but it's fun. I mean, mm-hmm. I try to figure out. I'm not, sometimes I have to go online. Right. Okay. Let me find out what I can do. And, you know, if I give up, then I'll just go to IT. But they'll just do the same sure. same thing. But, um, yeah, so it's it's tough catching up with the technology and staying on course and all of that stuff. But I also think when it comes to recording, you know, my dad, my dad was, um, he... He has a group right now. It's a gospel group, but you know, in the seventies, he had a um, a R and B group, mm-hmm. and it's fantastic. I, li- I have his recordings even to this day, and he had reel to reels. Right. He had you know the the mm-hmm. wonderful reel to which I think is gaining some nostalgia, or people are using right. it in, in right. right now. Oh yeah. Um, and and I think about my rec- my collection of music. Mm-hmm. I've had to transition from. Record players from records right. to tape right. to CDs. Right. And now Which I have everything. Which is now did, uh, dying technology. <laughs> yes, it's, it's dying now. And now I have all of these files on my external hard drive, mm-hmm. which I'll probably have to replace because if that dies, that's it. It's all, right. it's all gone. But, um, yeah, but I have all sorts of audio memories of, uh, of Dad and, and the 70s. And those, oh. those stuff I'll just hold on to forever because... Yeah. It's it's, and I also think I think about digital. And this is kind of a tech podcast, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I do think about like, do you think about? Did you ever take a lot of pictures when you were young, or um, I take pictures more now. Once yeah. they once they added that phone onto, I mean, added the, the camera onto yeah, the phone. That's right. Um, because at first I thought, you know, I just can't do this. Like I have, mm-hmm. I have a few sleeves of old photos. Right. That I took, mm-hmm. and I got smart after a while, and just said, "You know what? Just burn it up. Just take a take more than you think you need, because mm-hmm. if you find that one that mm-hmm. was worth having, it's it's worth you know throwing away nine or ten. Yeah. Um. And yeah, so with the phone, it was even easier. It's like I can just yeah. erase this. Mm-hmm. I can take, 
And I suddenly found, and it was weird, as my eyesight started to go, mm-hmm. I suddenly started framing better. Because mm-hmm. I wasn't worried about what it looked like. I uh-huh. was just going, do I have your head in? And uh-huh. do I have you centered? Oh, or where the light's yeah. coming from? Stuff like that became yeah. more important. Mm-hmm. And then I just take the picture. Yeah. And I look at it later and I'm like, wow, now maybe your expression's messed up. So I need to ask you yeah. to take it again. But at least it framed it right. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder about preserving. Because when I go back home, there are all these photo albums. Mm-hmm. We're not going to have photo albums as we get older. I mean, hopefully. Well, we we have to make the choice. I have a friend who every year, mm-hmm. now she is a photographer, mm-hmm. so and she's an older lady. Um, she prints out the best of the year. Mm-hmm. And at first I just thought, well, you're a photographer. You know, you're just doing that. And now I'm like, every time she mentions it, I'm like, God. That's another year that, how long would that take? That wouldn't take very long at all to go through all your pictures from the year and go, mm-hmm. ooh, these are the ones I want to keep and just print them out. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think about that because everyone does the whole cloud computing thing. I'm very iffy when it comes to cloud because I don't want someone else. It's like having a digital storage unit. Right. But you're renting it from someone else. Right. I mean, they may have all the best intentions, you know, Dropbox mm-hmm. or Google. Right, or what for now. Yeah. Right. But I'd rather just have my own stuff. And sometimes having, you know, digital, let's say digital recordings or digital pictures, digital, you know, text and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's always good to have something like something you can hold on to. It's, it's nice to have. So it's, it's worth spending the time to go every now and then I need to make something tangible. Right. And like I, you just mentioned, you threw out a lot of stuff when you moved in with oh. Mar. Did you think about scanning any of that stuff, like maybe a digital copy? I still have, and the crazy thing was, I had a, um, I had a, a, you know, a hard drive, a tower, mm-hmm. yeah, um, <clears throat> that uh, took floppies. Mm-hmm. So I have from college days, I have all these old floppies, oh, wow. and from the beginning of Oakland Public Theater for mm-hmm. maybe the first five years, yeah, I was doing everything, and and I was really good about saving things onto mm-hmm. the floppies, yeah. And so I had a computer that had a, a port for that. Mm-hmm. And in the process of the move, it was one of these days where anytime Mara came to the house, she was just freaked at the size of the mess that mm-hmm. I had. It was, it was, it was a horrible mess. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it came to getting rid of stuff, I would have to try to be careful about, I want to keep this, and this is the pile of stuff that is definitely going. Mm-hmm. And somehow that got in with the wrong pile, oh. and it went away. Ooh. And I was like, well, you know, realistically, I'd barely been using it for years. Yeah. And even when I was using it, and, mm-hmm. and you know, for years, I'd been burning things onto CD. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, I still got, <laughs> still got boxes of discs. Yeah. It's funny. I was talking to my dad last week, <clears throat> and he had asked me, he was like, Hey, you know, you, because I, what I did a couple of years ago, I started converting mm-hmm. his tapes mm-hmm. onto MP3 nice. to preserve it. Mm-hmm. And his place burned down. It was, I want to say, three or four years ago. Mm. And uh, so he was asking me, hey, do you still have that thing? And I was like, well, yeah, you know, go on SoundCloud and, you know, just download it. And mm-hmm. I'm so glad that I did it. Right. Because I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I could have just said, well, I'll do it later or whatever. And that would have been gone. Um I think I don't know if it's going to change much in our lifetime. Things will change. Things mm-hmm. will evolve. They mm-hmm. will innovate. Yeah. But um, 
I keep thinking about the way we think about the ancient Egyptians. We've got all this information ah, from yeah. the pyramids. Yeah. And because of the folks that first found it, we yeah. had all their biases mm. coloring what we thought we knew about those people. Sure. You know, the funniest thing I think I've ever heard is when they go through our landfills, they will think that we worshipped baby shit. <laughs> <laughs> because all those diapers, you know, they wrap oh, this stuff up so yeah. carefully and they preserved it in these things. Yeah. They yeah. put it in this stuff so that we could find it. <laughs> like, yeah, no, we just didn't know what the heck we were doing. Um, but I think about that in terms of the internet. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that in all these issues of privacy and all this stuff. Yeah. I think that things will get settled mm -hmm. or you know there will be some there will be some adjustments that we will make as a culture yeah. about how we do that but i think in the meantime we are going to upload much more yeah <laughs> much more is going to be out there and available and yeah. at some point in the future they're going to be able to look back at this period and go bam look at this because you, you already see it with photos yeah you know this generation has been photographed since they were kids and that stuff has been put up on the net, and like now, there's actually. Mm -hmm. I try to be careful when I talk to parents about not talk to. I ask parents mm -hmm. if I before I dare put up a picture of their kid <clears throat> anywhere. Yeah. Uh, I, do you do this? Are you careful about it? How do you like to do it? Yeah. I don't like to do it. Mm -hmm. I try to be careful about referencing kids mm -hmm. in anything because like, the same thing. Right. Do you want that footprint? Do I want the footprint of my life? It's, some of the novels. Books, you know, nonfiction, but speculative, mm -hmm. let's say, you know, the stuff where how did this this happen? Like, you know, somebody, John Davis, lived in this county and then he disappeared on the census. But the next census, they found him two cities over, or mm -hmm. two states over. Yeah. We think he went from there to there. How did he do it? And you as the writer have to kind of envision sure. what that is. Sure. Yeah. Um, that's going to be less possible for this generation yeah, because <clears throat> it's just a trail. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't know how I feel about it. It's way too complicated. We, uh, Yeah, I think obviously we'll have to decide what we want to hold on to, what we don't want to hold on to. I mean, mm -hmm. it's easier to do that in a physical realm. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. like I, I, you know, when you were talking about you having to throw things away, I think about that television series Hoarders. Right. Where, uh, you know, people don't want to throw anything away and all of right. a sudden they have a problem because, you know, the house it, it's isn't even livable. Right, yeah. exactly. And a lot of it's psychological and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. But digitally, a lot of us are digital hoarders. Right. You know, right. Our, our hard drives are just full of stuff. And, you know, kids will take pictures and they'll upload it onto, you know, the cloud system or whatever. Right. And they'll just think, well, it, they'll, it'll just be forever. Right. And... You know, hard drives are just servers, and it's still a hard drive, so you right. can't hold on to it forever. So sometimes you'll you will have to delete right things and just get things rid of are gonna happen, get yeah. rid of stuff. I mean, not that it'll be a calamity or whatever, but um, you know, well, you have to decide what right. You, want, what you, you have to remember that none of that existed twenty years ago. So right, what are we losing? We're losing the innovation mm -hmm. of the last twenty years. Yeah. Yeah it's, uh, yeah, it's hard to see. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely one of the joys of getting older is mm -hmm. your your time reference just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So I remember when I five years was easy to think, mm -hmm. and then 10 years is easy to think, yeah. 20 years is easy to think. And mm -hmm. now I'm playing with 30 mm -hmm. and actually reaching, because I'm over 50, 
there are stuff that's popping up. You know, this happened 50 years ago, these anniversaries. And I'm like, right. I remember that. <laughs> Star Trek, I remember that. Wow, I must yeah. have seen the first Star Trek show. And, and you know, it's I, interesting. Yeah. I, I, thank you for reminding me that you're over 50 because, you know, you don't look it. And <laughs> I keep thinking you we're the same age. Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right. I mean, if, I, if I, you know, someone born in the 1950s would probably not conceive of what how life was in 1901. Right. But someone, I mean, I can conceive of the 60s, mm-hmm. and it's 2017, because, you know, 50 years ago right. doesn't seem that long ago. Right. And I think technology has a lot to do with it, because we can reference it a lot easier, a lot better. I, yeah, there's stuff that would have disappeared, or somebody would have had to work hard to find, and yeah. now it's almost at your, digitally it is at your fingertips, a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. Which is amazing, I think. Um, but I also find that maybe the younger generation, they take history for granted, like getting back to Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Some may say, oh, my God, you know, um, the black man just can't survive. You know, we have to be so careful and, you know, the police are just after us or whatever. And I think about Rodney King. Right. You know, Rodney King, there was a protest, but it was only in L.A. You know, mm-hmm. the world didn't explode. I mean, right. you know, there weren't riots in New York because of what happened to Rodney King. Right. There wasn't riots in L.A. because of what happened to Yusuf Hawkins. Uh, mm-hmm. Yusuf Hawkins, that was a guy who was mistaken for another kid who was dating an Italian girl right. in Brooklyn. And uh, these boys just beat him up. <clears throat> but it was a mistaken identity. And uh, Do the Right Thing, the Spike Lee movie, is based on that. Mm-hmm. But getting back to my point, you had all of these things happen, but it right. was only regional. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. But now, of course, you know, with the... You know, um, if if a kid got shot, well, the airport, the airport thing. Mm-hmm. Holy, we were on the road mm-hmm. when we heard about it on the radio, and we started to have a discussion about whether or not we were going to go to the airport. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, within ten, because we it had already happened. We had been. I don't remember what we were doing mm-hmm. that day, but we were hearing about it. Was this a protest? Uh, Trump was it? It was, Trump? A, it was against the yeah the the Muslim ban. Right, that's right. That's and right. spontaneously, thousands of people went to the airports. Mm-hmm. Now, when they say that, I know the naysayers want to go, oh, come on, that was a plot, or didn't really happen. Mm. We were talking about it as we heard the newscast, and mm-hmm. it was when an update came on, within like 10 minutes or so, an update came on and said mm-hmm. that in San Francisco at SFO, mm-hmm. they had the city, and you know, it wasn't just the city, I mean, you know, the Congress people and stuff were really. What the hell's going on? And yeah. you don't want to mess around in San Francisco. <laughs> you talk about litigious cities. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah. So um, things had been, they said they were releasing the immigrants, mm-hmm. that they were not holding them anymore. Mm-hmm. And we went, oh, we don't have to go. Then we got home and read about the scope of this response mm-hmm. and that it ha- happened in New York, happened all over the country. Yeah, yeah. And that was, that really made me feel good. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this is a positive. The internet is going to do all kinds of crazy and all kinds of horrible rumors and things are going to get spread. Mm-hmm. You know, things, people are going to have knee-jerk reactions to things, whereas if they could just think about it for two seconds before they mm-hmm. hit post, yeah, yeah, um, they might come to a different conclusion. Mm-hmm. Those things are going to happen, but on the positive side to see that we can go, no, we want we want to respond to this right now. Yeah. The Women's March, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, in response to uh, Trump's uh, inauguration was mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. And I went outside and all of a sudden I see, you know, these women and men. Oh, yeah. I was there. <laughs> yeah. 
And it happened all over the world. And I was like, right. how in the world did this happen? Right. How can you just organize so many people to be uh, involved in, in this in this protest? And that's that's the wonders. That's you know that's when the internet is used for good. It is what right. we what we make it to be. Right. Right. So, it, it is a tool. So yeah. It can go either way, but it is fascinating to see that these things can happen. Mm-hmm. We we are definitely this year. We are going to see it tested. We are still going to see it tested. Yeah. Yeah. With um. I was reading about uh, Trump's, you know, the airstrikes uh, to mm-hmm. uh, to Syria, mm-hmm. which I'm now finding out. Um, I guess it really it didn't do. I guess it was they just popping circumstances. They had, yeah, they yeah. had airplanes off of that field in right. the next 24 hours. They were flying airplanes out of that field. It was like, dude, we spent a ton of money. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting, I was reading about this in the Washington Post today. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the media would just went gaga over. What Trump did? Wow, this is presidential, and you know right. this is we're getting tough and what and what have you. We did the same thing in two thousand and three with mm-hmm. Bush, right? You know, well that's was it Brazil. And, I think it was the Brazilian at, at the UN uh-huh. holding up pictures of Colin Powell at the UN, saying we have proof, and he just he just sat there, he kept talking and, and holding mm-hmm. it up, and he was and they asked him to apologize, and they tried to censure him. He was like, y'all have played this game. Yeah, we, we we are not going there, y'all. Proof, give us some proof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we you know it's not nobody's saying Assad didn't do it, but you can't just fly off the handle. You can't mm-hmm. just yeah. You know, and I remember I protested 2013. Mm-hmm. Obama was considering it. The whole red line bullshit. Yeah, um, he was considering it. He felt like he needed to take a strong stand. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of people like me went to protest. Now, the protest here in Oakland was, I don't know if it was 100 people. Mm-hmm. Didn't feel like much. Yeah. We stood around for a long time, and then they actually went to walk the lake with candles. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm out of here. I'm not yeah. walking the lake. Yeah. Um, and I went home feeling a little bit like, Ugh. And then again, I read up mm-hmm. how many places that there had been a response. Mm-hmm. And I went, Okay, well, that made me feel better about it. Yeah. And then within a day or so, he announced that he didn't announce what he was doing, mm-hmm. just that he wasn't doing that. They were considering some other options. Mm. And I was like, yeah, stop and think about it. At the very least, think about, you know, in, in this case now, mm-hmm. think about Congress. Think about what the American people want Yeah. before you make this decision. Don't just jump. And talk to your advisors about what this will actually accomplish if you do it. Yeah. Yeah, when I think about advisor, I mean, you know, advisor Steve Bannon and his own, you know, um, mm-hmm. Jared Kushner. I mean, it's it's hard to not roll your eyes. Um, and when you talk about Congress, I mean, you know, Obama wanted to do something in Syria, but Congress said, no, you need our approval. You can't right. do it. Right. But it's okay if Trump does it. You know, right. Trump, you know, right. That's, that's now, it's, now they're suddenly, yeah, they're flip-flopping. So – it's, you know, all you can do. And, like, I remember telling all of my friends, uh, because I'm a bit of a history buff, and I was like, oh, don't worry about it. Hillary's going to win. Hillary's going to win. <laughs> and I had to eat a lot of crow, uh, and I was like, I, I just don't understand. But I'm getting a um, – it's it's an interesting civic lesson yeah. to see what's happening now in the country where it, it reminds me of Nixon's silent majority. You know, mm-hmm. Nixon was like, okay, so you guys are protesting whatever. And you would think – Looking, reading back about the '60s, I mean, you lived it. Right. I mean, I mean, you were a, a young child then, mm-hmm. but 
you saw it happening, you would think, wow, you know, the hippies and, you know, young people are protesting and at the mall or whatever. But Nixon won by a landslide. Right. America was very, very conservative. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard to juxtapose that. And distressed. And distressed. Mm-hmm. America was really upset with what was happening. The cities were blowing up. Yeah. You know, riots. And America wanted somebody to say, I'll make it safe. Do you have memories of the riots when King died? This is embarrassing. Um, so, yeah, I was, you know, I would have been maybe eight. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was on the news, of mm-hmm. course. And, uh, you know, they talked about it for days. Um, I run into the kitchen. My mom's making dinner. I run into the kitchen. And I say, Mom, Mommy, I'm really... Um, they said Dr. King's dead. Mm-hmm. And she says, oh, and I said, I'm really worried for Mike, my brother. Hmm. And she says, why? And I said, because they said the black people are going to have trouble now. Hmm. And she said, you're black, fool. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at her. My brother's a darker, just a little darker. Not, yeah. a, little, not a little. He's, he's you know, definitely much darker shade. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, the black people are in trouble. Wow, okay. I, I, why would we be in trouble? We didn't do anything wrong, but the poor black people. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I was, I was a kid, so my we're in, and we're in Indiana, so I don't have any awareness of that. I mean, my grandmother was a big Republican. Hmm. You know, I mean, that's yeah, the Republican yeah. Party was the party of Lincoln. So black people up until then, up until the '60s, yeah, yeah, were Republicans. Um, so, yeah, and then we moved to California shortly after that, and I was like, oh, okay, I really don't understand what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. My, uh, obviously, I, I, was, I was born in 69, so I, I missed all of that, but I remember growing up in Washington, D.C., and there would be places like 14th and U. If you go to 14th mm-hmm. and U right now, it's all, you know, it's built up, you know, um, mm. uh, it was real. I think when Anthony Williams um, became mayor of Washington, D.C., this is after Marion Barry had mm-hmm. left, um, you know, things started building up. You know, the money started coming in. The MCI Center got built and the Washington Nationals came in. Mm-hmm. And D.C. looks completely different now. And, and it's gentrified, um, very much so. But when I was growing up, it really looked like the ghetto. I mean, I mean, when you think about – when I think about the 70s, the image that I have is very – muggy and very dirty and uh, Hmm. i mean there were some fun times i mean you know Mm -hmm. i remember being a kid playing with you know my friends and all that stuff and but when you think about movies like taxi driver right morton scorsese and you know the skin you know just how icky and whatever that really is my vision of 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 the 70s especially when i was growing up because it really was the ghetto i mean i remember Mm -hmm. when my mom and i would go to Mm -hmm. um the movies, mm-hmm. there'll be rats <laughs> running between the seats or whatever because wow. right next to the the uh, the, the theater, movie, movie theater, was an alleyway where you know winos and drunkards and you know it was sure. really and but to tie this in with King, when the riots happened, mm-hmm. they didn't rebuild it. Right. Matter of fact, it wasn't rebuilt for ten or twenty years. Mm. They just said, well, it's that's just the way it is, mm-hmm. and the way uh, the DC economy worked. We had to get our money, you know, like let's say in San Francisco, you know, if you're getting funding, mm-hmm. the federal government will give money to the state of California who will then give it to the cities and then right. the cities, you know, um, will divvy up the money. 
But in Washington, D.C., because it's the capital city, right. you have to petition Congress to get your money. And, you know, the Nixon administration is like, screw you. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. That, that, that was not their priority. And, of course, you know, Reagan comes in the 80s and, you know, welcome, here comes crack cocaine, mm-hmm. which just, you know, devastated, oh, yeah, 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 devastated yeah. cities. So, so are we running on E? <laughs> we're, we're probably getting close. I was thinking to to wrap up. Uh-huh. How about um? It's you know I I had two thoughts um, yeah. on on how to to approach some of this because I think this is a this is a work in progress. Yeah, so that's we're right. finding our way. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of checking in about you know. What's happened recently and what's been going on seems like a good way to kind of start. Yeah, I like the current and then finishing thing. up, um, just sort of looking, you know, looking forward. What's what's coming up? What's you know. mm-hmm. are you are you are any productions coming up? Um, nothing coming up anytime soon. I I'm talking to a small company and until things are settled, I don't want to say more about mm-hmm. it. But that that's happening. That'd be in the beginning of the year, January ah, maybe. Yeah. Um, I'm doing a lot of auditions in theater right now, um, working on this project with Hannah, so that'll be coming up, you know, in about a month. Oh, Hannah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be in just a little more than a month. Uh, that's going to go up. And um, and Each One Reach One, the uh, Juvie, mm-hmm. Juvenile Hall playwriting program that I do, is going to oh, actually nice. do an outreach program mm-hmm. in May. Yeah, um, and so I've got some meetings coming up about that, but those are those are the things that are on the horizon. Uh, the biggest, the biggest, most, you know, um, immediate thing that's happening for me is mm-hmm. uh, this is spring break for mm-hmm. one of my school jobs. Okay. So um, the funny thing is, I scrambled around and booked a bunch of gigs, so mm-hmm. I'm actually going to be working pretty hard next week. Yeah, but um, but it's all just quick stuff and so I get a little time to kind of breathe nice nice looking forward to that so I'm in the middle of um, I'll be I'm we're not in rehearsals yet but we will be I'm uh, involved in a there's a a company I think it's a playwriting company it's a there's a woman named Allison Luderman who is working on a musical called The Chain and that'll be um, playing really only for three days uh, in the in the month of May Mm. At the um, Eureka Theater. Oh. No, no, not the Eureka. The um, where does Shotgun Players a- uh, Ashby, Ashby Stage? The Ashby Stage. Mm-hmm. And so, so I'm in uh, rehearsals for that, and it's an interesting uh, little musical. I guess it's a it's a work in progress. Uh, they're mm-hmm. they're I think they're workshopping it, and it's basically right. about a musical about um, individuals who have. Um, they need to have their kidneys. Uh, they're on dialysis. Oh, mm-hmm. And it's really about people connecting with one another from different races, walks of life or whatever. Right. Basically saying, if we're going to heal each other, we have to work with each other. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I play an individual who is on dialysis mm-hmm. and have a, a wife who is a Jehovah's Witness. Mm-hmm. Oh, and she right. doesn't want me to do it. And I need a, a kidney transplant from a gay guy, mm-hmm. and so there are all sorts of you know interesting things going on with that. I, so, I'm going to look forward to talking about this more when we when we pick up this conversation. Right. I, wanna, <coughs> I actually had some interesting experiences around this. Is that right? Yeah. Well, we have to do it the next time around. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah, so definitely we'll talk about, um, you know, what's happening next, and we'll, I guess we'll exchange emails to talk about, you know, what we, like, there may be things happening in the week. Mm-hmm. You'll tell me, oh, I want to talk about this and that and whatever. Sure. But it's a work in progress. We're two hours in, and uh, we'll wrap it up. Uh, this is Norman G, and this is Reg Clay, and um, thank you so much, and we will see you next week.